It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. If you're a guest, welcome to First Baptist Church of Tipito. We're in a series um, entitled Church Matters as we're walking through four major questions that I think is important for you guys, for us, for all of us to, to learn, to understand. Uh, Tony preached the first sermon out of the series. Uh, I'm preaching the second. Why is, um, why should I covenant with the local church? Uh, Jerry Revet will be teaching uh, next week. Why should I serve in my local church? And Luke Setatol will close us out with why should I give? to my local church. So um, make sure you show up to the last one as well. <laughs> so some of you probably think, oh, I'm going to skip that one. No, no. Um, show up to all of them. I think it's important that we understand what God is doing here in our local church. Um, I feel weird not, not saying stand up and not saying turn to a passage of scripture because there's not a particular passage of scripture we'll look at. We'll look at multiple scriptures. Uh, but do me a favor just to make me feel a little bit more comfortable doing this for several years. Can you please stand? Just stand right now. Uh, and just open your Bible to whatever text and just say word. <laughs> Right? We're still in the word, right? Let's say a word. Amen? Uh, so join me as we pray together. Father, thank you uh, for your church. Thank you for your word, um, that we can preach your word, Old Testament, New Testament. Um, and then your, your word is cohesive. Uh, your word proclaims much about you. It's an autobiography of who you are, and it teaches us who we are helps us see the sins within our hearts, but it also gives us grace and grace and grace. So God, I pray for your people. Teach us what we do not know. Make us what we're not and give us what we do not have. And God's people said, we're, amen. Amen, amen, amen. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, right? So this is a very important series. Why should I covenant with my local church? At the age of 28, when I became the pastor at First Baptist Church of Lockport, I had a very daunting task, and the task was to figure out the people in our local congregation. At the point of me arriving there, there were 900 members on the membership roll, 40 people in attendance, but only 30 people were members. So we have to ask ourselves, where are the 870 members that were on the roll? So the first thing I realized is that I spoke to the leaders and I said, look, we need to reach out to the 870 people. Where are they? Because membership matters. If we're going to take membership seriously, then we need to be able to figure out where people are, pray for people, reach out to people. So we decided to do that. Come in to find out a high percentage of people on the membership roll had passed away and they were never removed from the membership roll. Then an even higher percentage of people who supposedly got baptized when they were children and when they turned to be a teenager and an adult left the church and never returned to the church. Some people were actually, they, they left the church and were attending other churches. And then I decided, you know what, we, we need to reach out to these people even more. So we noticed that a little less than the 870 members were in the area, still in the area. We got numbers and we got addresses. So I visited some people. I called some people. Now, it took years. It took about two and a half years to accomplish all of this. But it was a task that we needed to do. 
So I called some of the, I called the people who are on the membership roll, a little less than 870, a little less than half of 870. And coming to find out, several of them said, look, we do not want to be a member at FBC Lockport. Why? Because we're just not interested. We're not interested in church. I supposedly came to church when my parents were going there, um, but I'm older now. I have no desire for church, so remove us from the membership row. All right, that was a little easy, but still, I was like, man, come on. Like, what's going on with you spiritually? So I got to share the gospel with some of these people. Then there were another group of people who were like, you know what? We have no desire to come back, but do not remove us from the membership row. We still want to be identified as members of First Baptist Church of Lockport. And I was like, why? Why? Because if I die, I want God to know I belong to a church. I'm like, it's not going to save you. So again, I had a great opportunity to talk to these people. And then they had a small group of people who were actually going to healthy churches around the area. And I was tremendously encouraged. The goal was not to get First Baptist Church of Lockport filled with people. No, the goal was to care deeply for the souls of people who supposedly were members of the church. I say all of this to you, friends, just to help you understand membership is meaningless to a lot of people. Even in the SBC churches, a lot of SBC churches, membership is meaningless. First Baptist Church of Lockwell was one church. This church was also like that. I'm thankful for pastors like Tim Bray and the council who work diligently and vehemently to, to help the church altogether before I got here, right? So, so churches in the SBC struggles tremendously. Let me give you a perfect example of this. In the SBC churches, right, in the convention, they report they have 16 million members. But only 6 million members show up to the church. What happened to the 10 million because SBC, what we do is we, we get people to join the church. There's no accountability. And we say, man, we have a lot of members in our church when 40 people, 30 people, 20 people are showing up. That's meaningless membership. Why even have membership when you're not taking it seriously? So as, as, as we started doing this two and a half years later, our membership went from 900 members to uh, a little less, a little over 100 members. At that time, the church was growing, some more people were, people were coming in, and we had 100 members, but we were faithful to care for them. And friends, I'm saying this to you this morning because we must take membership seriously because Christ has taken membership seriously. He is taking membership seriously in a local church. We're not doing something just to be a country club or this sorority or fraternity. No, this is the church of Christ. And you are members if you covenant with the local church. Friends, we need to ask good questions. Good questions, and I want you to understand this. The quality of your questions determine the quality of your results. And that's typical with everything. The quality of your question determine the quality of your results. So let me give you a bad example of a bad question. Why is my job rubbish? <laughs> why, why is my job horrible? 
Listen, when you ask a bad question like that, this is what happens. Because your question leads to an emotional arousal that's driven by a behavior and your behavior determines your result. So why is my job rubbish? So here's the emotional arousal. This weekend, I'm going to make myself feel so good to just take my mind off of my job. So the weekend comes, you enjoy, there's emotional arousal, there, there, there is, it drives a sense of behavior because your mind is no longer on your job, but here's the result. Monday morning, you have to go back to the same job that's rubbish. We're asking the wrong question. The right question should be, why am I struggling in my job? Why don't I have joy in my job? It, is there another job that's better suited for my gifts and my talents? Because by asking the right question, it would lead to the right emotion, the right behavior, and then the right result. When it pertains to your spiritual life, you need to ask the right questions. And when it pertains to the church of Christ, you need to ask even more of the right questions. And this is why the leaders have helped you with the right questions. Four questions. Why should I participate in the ordinances within the local church? Why should I covenant in my local church? Why should I serve in my local church? Why should I give to my local church? These are great questions that will lead to the right emotion, then the right behavior, and then the right result. And what is the result we're after? To make much of our Lord Jesus Christ and for you to love one another. This is the result. That's the result we're after. This series is to promote and stimulate in your heart a greater love for the church and a greater love for Christ. I'll say it again, the quality of your questions determines the quality of your results. Are you asking the right questions pertaining to the church of our Lord Jesus Christ? So with that said, this morning I want us to ask three questions, three important questions. Question number one, what is the church? What, what is the church? Right? We have multiple definitions of church from different denominations and religion. But we want the Bible to inform us as to what is the church. And by knowing what the church is, then we can act upon it. Right? What is the church? Who is the church? Right? Second, what does it mean to covenant with the church? There's a powerful word, covenant. We need to define the word covenant. Is that biblical? What does Jesus has to say about the word covenant? And three, why should I covenant with my local church? And I want to give you five reasons why you should covenant with the local church. So point number one, what is the church? To many Christians today, the doctrine of the church is like a decoration on the front building. A decoration that you put on your front house, right? It's beautiful, but it's not that important. It bears no weight at all. And what, what people tend to do is when they look at the church and the doctrine of the church, they say, that's not important. Why, why study what is the church? Why study the government within the church? Why study the gifts within the church? 
And what people are doing is they're saying to you, that's not important. You know what's important? Just grow in the church. Get as many people as you can within the church. And if it works, it works because that's the ultimate goal for them. But that is not the ultimate goal for the church of Christ. We must understand what is the church to understand the goal, the result, and what we ought to do. James Montgomery Boyce mentioned this. He says, Christ's work is the church's foundation. Christ's work continues in the church. The fullness of the mystery of God in redemption is disclosed among his people. The greatest organization on this earth today is the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Coming closer, coming closer, pay close attention to this and write this down if you can. The church should be regarded as important to Christians because of its importance to Christ. How important was the church to Christ? Here, here, what, 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 what a text tells us, what the Bible tells us about the church, it's the bride of Christ. I've heard, I, people say this often to me when I, when I meet them and they're no longer going to church or they used to go to church and they, they say, you know what, man, I love Jesus. I love God. I pray, I read my Bible, but I hate the church. Here's a problem. It's like any man will come to me and say, Kevin, boy, I love you. You're amazing, dude. I, I care so deeply about you, but I can't stand Beth. <sighs> I'll slap you across the face, right? <laughs> right? As a matter of fact, people say the opposite. Beth is amazing, Kevin. We can't stand you. But, but anyway, you, you get the point, right? Like, like, if you love me, you love my wife, you love my family, you love my bride. The church is the bride of Christ. So we're saying, God, we love you, but we hate your bride. No, Jesus will not stand for that. And the Bible tells us a lot about the church. It says that Christ founded the church in Matthew 16, 18. He purchased it with his blood in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and intimately identifies himself with the church. So you see the church, you see Christ, you see Christ, you see the church. So you can't hate the church and love Christ. Because he identifies with the church. He calls the church his body. This is the, his body. So you hate the church, you hate the body of Christ. He calls the church his dwelling place of his spirit. It's the chief instrument for glorifying God in the world. This is the importance of the church. But friends, I need you to get this. The church arises only from the gospel. And I want you to get this very carefully, and you must understand this. Come in closer and get this. Listen very closely to this. A distorted church usually coincides with a distorted gospel. Do you get it? What the church must do in every healthy church that you will find, what greets you when you enter into the church spiritually is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not programs or entertainment or your money or your service. No, what greets you is the gospel. A healthy church is saturated in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It constantly talks about the gospel. 
It greets you with the gospel. It says bye to you with the gospel. It entertains you with the gospel. It fellowships with you with the gospel. It's not just coming to your house and having a cup of tea and listen to you gossip. No, if, if you are covenanting with me here, right, as a Christian, another Christian, I go to your house and we make much of the gospel. Our great fellowship is saturated in the gospel. That's the beauty of the church. I find a lot of times when you find churches that are departing from the gospel, from the biblical doctrine of the church. What is the church? What are we called to do? A lot of times they depart from other important doctrines. That happens often. Ecclesiology is important. The study of the church is important. So when we make much of that and we study much about that, we find ourselves learning other doctrines well. But if you deny ecclesiology, if you deny the study of the church, if you don't spend time in the study of the church, you will not spend time in other doctrines as well. You will not understand other doctrines as well. So it is very important. My friends, let me help you understand this. And I love this. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says, For if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. This is the church of God. And notice what the church is doing, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So, so in other words, Paul is saying, when you enter into a church, this is what you must see. The pillars of the church spiritually are the people of God uplifting the word of God. So you walk in and you see God's people holding up the roof and making much of the work, making much of Christ, making much of doctrine, making much of practical living. It's a pillar and buttress of the church, of the truth. So an important question is, let's define the word church. The word church is defined in this way. Wayne Grudem says in his book, Systematic Theology, he says the church is the community of all true believers for all time. Stephen Scrivener teaches this. We have what we call the foundation class because, again, we want when you decide to covenant with this local church, we want you to understand more about the doctrine of the church. And Stephen teaches this particular uh, doctrine to you. What is the church, right? Wayne Grudem defines it as a community of all true believers for all time. So in other words, for Wayne Grudem and for us and for the Bible, we have believers in the Old Testament and believers in the New Testament. The church is not just found in the New Testament. No, it was found in the Old Testament as well. So we have the word kahal, and the word kahal basically means the assembly of God's people. So when Moses went to the people in Deuteronomy and he summoned the people of Israel, it's called the kahal, God's people, right? So when we read in the Old Testament, we see people like David who were genuinely converted. We see people like Esther and Ruth, right? We see, we, we see people like Isaiah and Jeremiah. These, these people were genuinely converted. They were a part of the church. But not only them, 
we look in the New Testament and the Greek word for ekklesia, which is a compound word in Greek, called out once. It also means the assembly of God's people, the gathering of God's people. So anytime you see church in your Bible in the New Testament, it's the word ekklesia, that God's people are called to gather. So there are two things that we must understand about the church very briefly. One, the church is universal. It is as God sees it. And what I mean by that is we have local church here, right? But when you think about local churches all around the world, you must think of the universal church. That the moment you get saved, you are baptized into the universal church of God. No matter if you're in China, Russia, Africa, America, if you confess Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you have been baptized, you've repented from your sins, you are in the church of God, right? This is the universal church. But there's also the local church. It's the church as we see it. It's the church right now. When you look around, you see people, you see old, you see young, you see male, you see female, you see black, you see white, you see Indian, right? You see all different kinds of races here, right? This is the church as we see it. But the local church itself is a very important thing because as you read through Scripture in 1 Corinthians, right, it's the church at Corinth, the local church at Corinth. Galatians is the local church at Galatia, right? So when you read in the epistles, you're seeing local churches that Paul and other men planted there as people gather together to make much of Christ. So again, you think of the church, you see the church as God sees it, you see the church as we see it, you see the universal church, but you also see the local church. And a lot of what we're gonna be talking about is about the local church. So now that you understand what is the church, let's dive deeply into what does it mean to covenant with the church? This is a very archaic word, covenant. As a matter of fact, the world does not like the word covenant. They have created another word, contract. In other words, they will say to you, relationships are more about contracts than they are about covenants. They rather contract. Let me give you a difference. Let me define a contract. You enter into a contract with your spouse, and you say, I will be okay with you and devoted to you only if you meet my needs. And the moment you violate that, I have the right to, what, separate. That's a contract. They have contracts as well with God. And they say, God, you know what? I don't mind trusting in Jesus Christ only if you bless me, God. Only if you give me money, God. Only if you will prevent me from getting cancer, God. So the moment something bad happens to them, they get out of the contract. They have contracts with other people as well. The moment you mess with them, they're out. The moment you say something, they say to you, you're toxic. But it must not be so for a Christian. A Christian enters into a covenant relationship. Every relationship he has is a covenant relationship. Why? Primarily because his relationship with God is a covenant relationship. Notice very carefully in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 12 through 15. These are Moses' last words, some of Moses' last words to the nation of Israel. 
And one of the things he says here to the people, and he's saying to you as well, is that you need to enter into a covenantal relationship with God. It's not a contract. It's a covenant relationship. And notice what Moses mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 12 through 15. So that you may enter into a sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Abraham to Isaac, and to Jacob. Is it not with you alone that I am making a sworn covenant? But with whoever is standing here with us before the Lord our God and with whoever is not here with us today. This is language of great covenant that God has with us. But notice two things here. Two kinds of languages used here to reflect the characteristic of God, right? And the covenant of God. First, he says to the people, he uses the word love or a sense of his possession, his people, right? Our God. There, there is a great sense of a, a possession here, possessive, that God is saying, these are my people. I am your God, but also with the language, there is a sense of law. So we see love when you pertain to a covenant, but you also see law. And law here says, sealing with an oath is what God said to his people. So friends, when you see a covenant and understand a covenant, I need you to get this very carefully. It's different than a contract. It is love sealed by law. It is making a promise to someone and saying, I will not break it, even if you break yours. It is a covenant that God enters in with us, that God says he will endure with us. He will be patient with us. He will forgive us. He will love us, even if we walk away, even if we are in sin. And once you enter that covenant with God, God seals it with his love. It's an oath. So this is the covenant before us. When you think about the word covenant, think about God being with you and God is patient with you. So therefore, by understanding God's covenant with me, I desire to have covenantal relationship with others. This is a perfect example of what Jesus is saying, right? If you receive mercy from God, you should desire to give mercy to God. If you receive love from God, you should desire to give love to people, right? So notice with me very carefully, not only our covenant with God, but there is scripture affirms our covenant with each other, with people. So we see it from Deuteronomy, our covenant with God. God seals this covenant with us, and therefore, man, I desire to have that covenant with people, right? And our covenant with people can be seen in 1 Samuel. I think by far one of the greatest display of covenantal love among one another is Jonathan and David. That relationship they had together that Saul wanted to kill David. Saul was the father of Jonathan. Jonathan and David were best friends, grew up together to some degree. And Saul wants to kill David. And here's Jonathan making a covenant with David. So we can make covenants with one another. Notice very carefully, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Do not cut off your steadfast love 
from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies, knowing that his father was David's enemy. But he made a covenant, a righteous covenant. And Jonathan made David swore again by the love, by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. This is the covenant that we should enter with one another here, friends. Kevin, do you have New Testament evidence of this? In the book of Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3 and 4, the apostle Paul says something very similar here. He says, look out not only for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Others who, Paul? Who are you talking about? Others within the local church. So when we come and we join the church, we, we covenant with one another. That we say to one another, look, I, I, I will love you. I will be patient with you. I, I will care for you. Even if I don't get along with you that well. But you know what? Because you are brother and sister in Christ, I will pray for you. I will be there for you. We live in a world today where it's like, you, you know, you just need to be around people who are just like you. Friends, don't listen to that mess. One of the greatest ways you can grow is to be around people that's not like you. People sometimes who get on your nerves. <laughs> and they're Christians, and you pray for them. And as you pray for them, you see that God begins to change your heart. But in America, we tend to be very isolated. If I don't like you, I'll stay on this side of the pew. You make sure you stay on this side of the pew. I never have to talk to you. I never have to think about you. But, but listen, when we enter in a covenant with one another, we should care deeply. We should care deeply. We use the word covenant often here. When someone joins the church, we bring them up front and we say, this brother or this sister has come into covenant with the local church. And what do we mean by this? We're saying they're coming to be held accountable by us and we will hold them and, and they will hold us accountable. They're a part of this family. We, we, we're going to be doing this together. We have covenantal languages in scripture as well. When, when Paul says, when one suffers, all suffer, right? When one rejoices, all rejoice. This is a sense of covenantal love. But we also have a covenant that we recite together here. And I want to share with you four reasons why a church should have a church covenant. Four reasons. Very quickly, let's look at this. A church covenant is a promise. A promise made to God, to a local church, and to oneself. So as we recite the covenant together, there is a promise in my heart. That God, I'm making this promise to you. I'm making this promise to every other voice that I'm hearing. I'm making this promise to myself, God, to live differently. A church covenant is a summary of how we agree to live. We believe in these things. Why? Because they are scripture. When we say to biblically educate our children... When we say to be admonished by the word, by one another, we believe that scripture is affirming these things. So we agree and we say these things together. A church covenant is a sign of commitment, a commitment to God and to his church and to our personal holiness. This is what happens when we covenant with one another and we recite a church covenant. 
A church covenant is a biblical standard. In other words, one of the clearest ways that we can actually practice church discipline is with our church covenant. That when a brother or sister falls away, we can go to them by the word and say to this brother and sister, you remember the covenant that we recite every Lord's Supper, the covenant that we recite together every member's meeting. Brother, sister, we recited this for years. Turn, turn away from your sins. Come and trust in Jesus. It's a great way of holding one another accountable. And some people say, well, we don't want this. We, 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 we don't want accountability. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. Well, you don't belong in the church. Because being a part of the church is being held accountable based on what Jesus is saying. And listen to me very carefully. We do not want to be like the SBC with 10 million or 16 million members and only 6 million showing up. We do not want to be a church that's a mile wide but an inch deep. We don't want that. We want to be deep. We want to hold each other accountable. We, we, I love the fact that when I would listen to my brothers praying on Wednesday nights and they talk about their family, that stimulates in my heart to love my wife, to love my children, to love the church, to love people I'm around, to share Christ with one another or people that's lost. This is the beauty of the church covenant. A church covenant void of this response, these responsibility is a worthless document. So when we recite this together, friends, please get this. Our hearts are in this. And we're saying, God, thank you for a church. Thank you that we can do this together in one voice. Let's move on very quickly. We have to ask ourselves this question as well. The scripture talks about church membership. So I'm talking about covenanting with one another. And this is what I hear on a consistent basis from some people is the Bible doesn't talk about church membership. The Bible says, yeah, local church. But where are you getting membership from? The Bible doesn't say it explicitly, but it's implied. And let me help you understand this very carefully. Three passages of scripture, and then we'll jump into the third point. One. It's in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. We're very familiar with that passage of scripture. It's a picture on, uh, it's a scripture on church discipline. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two other along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to you, to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So stop. The ability to exclude someone from the church presupposes that it is known that this person belonged to the church at first. How can you practice church discipline if someone is not a member of the local church is what I mean. It presupposes and implies that church has membership. You cannot practice church discipline if there is no church membership. How do you know if this person is a member or not? Well, because they enter into the church. 
They've been saved. They have repented of their sins. They've been baptized, right? They've been catechized, right? In the sense of them learning catechism. Catechism is a study of the word of God. You've discipled them. So they are a part of the local church. They're members of the local church. So Matthew 18 tells us and implies that there is church membership. Well, well hold up, Kevin. You've got to give more scriptures. I'm glad you're asking. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So Paul called upon the church at Corinth to judge those who were what? Inside the church, not those who are outside the church. And there is a responsibility here. The passage will make, make no sense to the church at Corinth if they didn't have some sense of public confession and church membership within the local church. How can you judge anyone inside if you do not have a sense of membership within the church? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7 helps us again here. Paul writes concerning a man in, Cor in the church at Corinth, and he says to excommunicate. Now you get the picture. To excommunicate is to remove. How can you remove someone if they're not a member of the church, right? But notice what he says here. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So the man exclusion from the church was a punishment by the majority. You cannot have a majority unless you have a definite set of people within the majority that constitute the majority. You get it. Scripture upon scripture to affirm church membership. It's not explicit, but it's implied. So when we go to a church, we must covenant with the local church. And finally, friends, notice with me the third and final point. Why? Should I covenant with my local church? And I give you, I, I've given you five reasons. There are a lot more, many more, but five reasons that I think are very important. Reason number one is sanctification. And please come in closer. I need you to get this. I need you to get this. The Lord has taught me this so well. The greatest form of sanctification that you will ever experience on this side of heaven is within the local church. I want to say it another way, and I will even go further by saying this. If you are not a part of a local church and you're isolated and you call yourself a Christian and you read your Bible and you pray and you're not involved in a local church, you will experience a spiritual stunt. You will not grow like the way you ought to. God has organized on this side for us for the greatest form of sanctification to happen together in his local church, that we pray together, we worship God together, we cry together, we hold each other accountable together. This is why there are over 59 one another's in Scripture. Why? Because the church is met for our sanctification, that we've set apart for the glory of God. But what it does as well, it, 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 it affirms my faith. It gives me a sense of assurance. 
That when I come with my brothers and even as Satan uh, tempts me to, to make me feel like I'm doubting my salvation and I'm around other brothers who are affirming my faith, other sisters who are affirming my faith, no other organization can do this like the church friends. And I'm not saying to you that if you become a member of this church or any church that you will be saved. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying to you, if you are saved, you will desire to be a member of a local church. That gives you assurance. It affirms your faith. So we see the sense of sanctification that happens. But notice with me as well, evangelism. We evangelize the world. Well, Kevin, I can go and evangelize by myself. That's effective. But the most effective way to evangelize is with the church. Oh, stop, Kevin. What do you mean? Do you mean I have to just take the entire church if I want to evangelize to my husband or wife and take the entire church with me to evangelize to that person? Do not do that. That person will never <laughs> come to this church if you do that. But, but nevertheless, the way we do this as a church is that we pray for one another. On Wednesday nights, when I'm sharing about people that I'm witnessing to, to other brothers, and they're praying for that person. And the next Wednesday, they say to me, how is this person doing? I've been praying for that person. They are joining me in evangelizing. You are joining your brother and sister in Christ in evangelizing just by praying for them, praying that God would soften the heart of that person. Plus, when we look at Scripture in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under people's feet. But notice the word here, you. You is plural. Jesus is talking about the church. One grain of salt is not effective. But salt in a salt shaker, and you pour it over some good steak, ah, it's good. I've been talking about steak a lot lately, but nevertheless, Greg's going to get me some steak. But, um... It's very effective. So we are together. We salty the earth together, not just by yourself. This is why the church is important. This is why you must covenant with the local church. Are you praying for your lost family member? Are you praying for your lost co-worker? Are you, are you praying for your boss? Are you praying for your children? You don't need to pray by yourself. You have the church to pray with you. Three, edify the church, do you know when you covenant with the church, you are building up the church? You are members of the church. And it breaks my heart when someone that I love so much and been with us for years and all of a sudden just stop coming to church. One of the most discouraging things for me in the ministry is to see people that I love and people that I know that love God just stop serving God. Stop coming to church. God, they get so busy in this world. And I think of them every time I get up to preach because they will sit in particular areas and I, I don't see them anymore. And I'm like, man, when we come, we edify one another. We build up one another. Your Sunday school teachers, when they prepare to teach and you are there to receive the word, to encourage them, to, to grow in your faith. It's an amazing thing. You're building up the church. But when you don't show up, when you don't covenant with the church, it discourages the church. You are vital to the church, and you are a part of the church. 
Four, it glorifies God. Covenanting with the local church glorifies God. Jesus says in John 13, 34, and 35, by a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, by this all will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So as we love each other, as we care deeply for one another, as we come to church and covenant with the local church, God is glorified. Do you get this? He is glorified. When you're never a part of the church, when you don't serve, when you don't covenant, when you just come every now and then sit in the pews and that's it, you want no responsibility, you, you want no accountability, listen, God is not glorified with that. God is calling for you to covenant with the local church. And finally, fifth, when you are part of a local church, you get the elders' protection. You get the elders' protection. What do you mean by this, Kevin? You know, when you are struggling in your own life with any kind of difficulties, like your elders are praying for you, and sometimes even up at night thinking of you. And sometimes when you even forget of the situation, they see you next time and they ask you about it because they care about you. You get the elders' protection. You got elders who are fighting for you, preventing false doctrines to come and infiltrate the church. You don't have to worry about that. That you come to a place to worship God and we're taking care of the dirty work for you. That's the local church. You get the elders' counsel, laboring in prayer for you, holding you accountable, shepherding over you. That's the benefit that you get from the church. So what's preventing you from covenanting with the church? Enough. Enough playing those religious games where you feel you can come to church, sit in the pews, and that's it. No, no, you are needed. You are valuable. If you are a Christian, if you trust in Jesus, covenant with the local church. This is your church. And watch what God is going to do in and with you. For those of you who have never entered into a covenant relationship with God, I want to invite you to turn to him as we walk through this passage of scripture in Deuteronomy, how God enters into a covenant relationship with people, not a contract, but a covenant relationship. And maybe some of you are broken, you don't know Jesus, and you're saying, man, how can I know more about this love? Well, this is how. Repent of your sins, trust in the finishing work of Jesus, and watch what God will do in your hearts. He desires to, to give you this covenantal love, this hesed, this, this steadfast love. And for those of you who recite the covenant every time we recite, but your heart's not in it, I pray that God will bring a sense of conviction into your hearts to make much of him, to love one another, and to glorify God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you for the truth that we do have in Scripture. I pray for your people, O oh Lord, that you would speak to their hearts. God, we do not want to be like a church that is a mile wide but an inch deep. No, we want to go deep, O oh Lord. We want to go so deep, O oh Lord. We want you to speak to our hearts, O oh Lord. We want you to move us mightily, O oh Lord. We want to take things seriously, O oh Lord. 
We want to be held accountable, O Lord. Why waste time playing this religious game when there is a sense of seriousness in your word? Why waste time doing things over and over? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. But God, you've called us to obedience. We're not perfect people. We are broken people looking at a, perf a perfect God. So sanctify us. Use your church. Let us study more about the church. Let us learn our responsibilities in the church. We love you. We worship you. Amen, amen, amen.